0: But as I mentioned, we are talking a little bit more about what unfolded in front of some major hospitals in BC yesterday. Straight
1: news, robots! Straight news! Tell the truth, you fucking oh, liars. You know why are we
2: attacking you? Because you're the ones that are feeding you the masses. You're doing
1: the information. You're liars. You should be tried for crimes against humanity.
3: And remember, we have rights.
0: All right. Just some of the anger that you could hear that particular uh, bit of audio was collected outside Vancouver at General Hospital. But as you know, these were protests that were taking place in other locations as well. Let's bring in Mike Old, coordinator with the policy and planning department with the B.C. Hospital Employees Union. Mike, thanks so much for coming back on the show with us.
1: Hey,
2: Jill. Thanks for having us.
0: Uh, It was just, uh, I think, uh, I don't know that anyone was shocked by the level of anger because we've been hearing it from a certain group, a small group in this province. But I think what did come as a bit of a surprise for people was the number of people that felt it was appropriate to target hospitals yesterday. What is the impact or what are you hearing from your members that were inside those buildings?
2: You know, Jill, it's been an incredibly difficult eighteen months inside our healthcare system. Uh, folks are working to the max. There's uh, huge, huge staffing issues. Uh, people are tired. They haven't been able to take their vacation, and they're they're struggling. They're struggling to make sure that we can take care of British Columbians who've been affected by COVID nineteen and the many, many other reasons people enter a hospital. And I think yesterday was just a it was a bit much uh the protesters seemed to be targeting our healthcare facilities and for workers i think it was depressing it was disheartening i think they felt disrespected of course we've heard that uh, a healthcare worker was actually physically assaulted on the island uh many received verbal abuse um it's just not okay for healthcare workers to be subject to that kind of behavior and uh yeah, really unfortunate day.
0: Does the message get to healthcare workers that this group is the minority? I mean, when you look at the numbers in BC, the number of people who have been vaccinated, who are fully vaccinated against COVID 19, who are in support of healthcare workers, d- does that message get through that the bulk of people are on their side and supporting them?
2: I think that most healthcare workers know that uh, British Columbians have been overwhelmingly supporting them through the last 18 months. You know, right back to last spring, spring of 2020, with the, uh, you know, 7 o'clock pots and pans. There's a lot of solidarity out there with healthcare workers, but it's, you know, yesterday was still tough for workers to be subject to that kind of behavior, especially when they're so tired and at the end of their ropes.
0: And many people as well were pointing out the irony that there inevitably will be people who were part of those protests yesterday or part of other protests that have taken place or that are going to take place in the future who will end up in hospital and will be treated by the very people they're throwing that anger at.
2: Yes, and and they will be treated with uh, the usual compassion and commitment that healthcare workers bring to the job every day. But yesterday was very unfortunate. And, you know, at a time when many British Columbians, the few that don't have a vaccine yet, are trying to, you know, uh, obtain credible information, you know, about what to do about their vaccination status, you know, the level of debate that happens in events events like yesterday doesn't help either. It's it's an information-poor environment.
0: Uh, Yes, that's that's one way of putting it for sure. Uh, We saw images. Claire Allen, who used to work here, she lives nearby. She posted a video that's been seen hundreds of thousands of times of that ambulance with the lights on slowly making its way through that crowd on 12th Avenue. What are your thoughts on not only emergency responders not being able to get through freely, but there would have been people yesterday as well at hospitals going to visit loved ones, taking loved ones to hospital that would have been stuck in that.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it, it's really unfortunate. I mean, I, I saw the video as well, and it was kind of shocking. Um, you know, our our healthcare facilities, our hospitals, and long term care facilities are are supposed to be places of compassion and care, and uh, folks have the right to protest to make their feelings known. They don't have the right to. You know, harass those who are trying to access healthcare care facilities and they don't have the right to harass people who work in them.
0: Uh, has anything changed as far as you know when it comes to security at hospitals? I understand at VGH there were some members of the protest that were actually trying to go into the hospital. Have you had to change or have you heard of there have been changes as far as increased security to make sure that workers are safe?
2: I haven't heard of anything specific, Jill, but I'm sure that uh, administrators at our major hospitals across the province are looking at their security measures and seeing what needs to happen to make sure the kind of things that were happening yesterday don't happen in the future. Uh,
0: some of the people at the VGH or the, the protest outside of VGH, a couple of the people that spoke to Global News identified themselves as long-term care workers who didn't want to be vaccinated and said that they were there because they felt that they were going to be unemployed because of the vaccine mandate. There, there's been some talk that some of the people participating in these protests are, in fact, health care workers. Have you heard that as well?
2: Well, you know, the fact of the matter is, uh, we we estimate in our own membership that in excess of ninety percent of our members are vaccinated. There's variations around the province, but you know, it is true that uh, you know healthcare workers are from the communities that they live in, and some some have not yet gotten vaccinated. Not very many, but some. Um, and uh, you know, this is an this is an important time. The Folks who work in assisted living and long-term care um, will be required to have the vaccine by October the 12th. And uh, what we understand from uh, government officials is is uh, basically the last chance to get your first dose will be September 13th to make that deadline. It's really important that over the next two weeks that unvaccinated healthcare workers seek out credible sources of information. Their family physician the health authority, the BC Centre for Disease Control so that they can make an informed decision about what they want to do by September 13th. That's really important. The kind of rallies that we had yesterday and more specifically the kind of information that was shared is not going to help anybody make a make a good decision about the vaccine.
0: And when you talk about the, that deadline, then, if you are somebody that works in long-term care with that October 12th vaccination uh, deadline, is it your understanding that if somebody chooses not to, do they lose their job or do they get reassigned to a different job or a different facility without the requirement?
2: So we're not exactly sure what will happen on October 12th. We've been. Uh We've had a commitment from government that there'll be some discussions uh, about uh, the labor relations implications of the decision. Um, You know, it's clear some employers will take the position that uh, not being vaccinated on October 12th will be grounds for dismissal. Uh, Others have said that they'll suspend workers' uh, you know, put them on unpaid leave. Um, We think there's lots of options potentially out there that we want to talk to government and health employers about. Um, You know, there is a risk to this policy that some folks won't get vaccinated, and that could happen in parts of the province where we have pretty severe staffing issues. But I think the important thing is, is that people take the next couple of weeks to carefully consider... Their decision, because uh, we really don't want to lose those valuable workers to our healthcare system. Come October twelfth.
0: All right, Michael. We'll leave it there. But thanks so much for your time today.
2: Thank you, Jill.
0: Well, every year it's a bit of a tradition. People that are going into grade twelve will sometimes come together for that one last hurrah, the end of summer big party before heading back for that final year of high school. This year. Fire officials, school officials, and the RCMP on, in North Vancouver are asking that the people going into grade 12, well, that if they are planning to do any type of party or reconnect with friends, asking that they do so in a safe way. Peter DeVries is the North Vancouver RCMP media relations officer and joins us on the line now to talk more about this. Thanks so much for being with us.
1: Well, thanks for having me on the show, Jill.
0: I I was surprised. Well, I guess not really surprised. I was thinking back, way, way back. And I know back in in my high school days, uh, there was a tradition sometimes of sleeping on the school roof. I never did that. But I know that there were some people that did that and had that the last summer party like you're talking about here. How much of of an event is this? Or how popular is this still happening?
1: Well, it is a popular event. It's kind of a tradition. On the North Shore in particular, we know that Before students go back to school, they like to get together and often they do this in a specified area in the forest or uh, in the hiking areas. They'll gather and they'll camp or, um, you know, stay up all night and come to school in the morning uh, after a night of partying. It's a tradition and it's something that we've been aware of for many years. But we also know that there have stemmed, some problems have stemmed from these celebrations we are excited, along with the students, we all have, you know, many of us have our own kids who are going back to school, and this is an exciting time of year for everybody. And we know that these reconnection parties and these social events are really important for our children and their development and in developing those relationships. We want them to make sure that they are planning ahead, that parents are having those difficult discussions with them about uh, around alcohol and around drug use and around, uh, you know, positive social interactions and being responsible. And, you know, for the most part, uh, you know, the students that we have in North Vancouver, they are wonderful people. They, they are, um, you know, responsible models, role models for other uh, students in the school. They're leaders in the community. And we just want to appeal to those qualities and those potentials for them to uh, think through their decisions and think through their plans before they get into a situation where perhaps their ability to make, you know, well-thought-out decisions has been compromised by alcohol. And the last thing we want is for anyone to get hurt. We don't want anyone to be, um, you know, victimized. And we know from the past that some of those things have happened. Uh, You know, in the last few years, we really haven't had any of these problems. Uh, But we know that with this return to school, particularly because, uh, you know, school has been a bit iffy over the last year and a half uh, with the whole pandemic and and students, a lot of students being at home for large portions of the school year, that many of them have lost those regular connections with friends. And and so we're anticipating that this is going to be a, a really great celebration time for students going back to school. But again, we're just we want them to uh, think through how they're going to do that and plan and and make good decisions around the issues that they're facing as as young adults.
0: Has it been something in the past where as long as they're not causing problems, not doing things that are dangerous or, or the the issues that you outlined, uh, that police and other officials know that these parties are happening and kind of turn a blind eye to them?
1: No, we don't turn a blind eye to them.
0: Uh
1: you know, there are some issues around alcohol and and parenting and young adults. And we know that there are parents who, uh, you know, supply alcohol to their minor children in their home because they feel that might be a safer place for them to do that. You know, it's not our role as the police to tell parents how to parent their children. But what we can tell them is what the laws are. And Anyone who uh, you know who has a young person and in BC, the legal drink drinking age is nineteen, so anyone under the age of nineteen is considered a minor under the the liquor act and is not allowed to consume or possess alcohol. Uh, nor is any adult allowed to provide alcohol to a minor. Now there is one small uh, allowance uh, for parents to be able to give their minor children alcohol within their own home, to their own minor children under close parent supervision, and in a responsible way. Uh, but that does not mean that parents can host large parties where uh, their minor child is bringing over other minor children and then they are providing alcohol to those, to those uh, other minors. That's against the law. Uh, it also carries all kinds of risks for parents who are hosting these types of things in their homes. Now, I'm not saying that this happens all the time, I'm not saying that that is what's going to be happening, but it is something we've come across. And and it's important for us to remind both students and parents about some of these rules and and to encourage them to think through these decisions uh, rather than than getting into a situation where, you know, they find themselves in a real difficult spot.
0: If somebody hosts a party at their house, and uh, there's alcohol there, and the the teens leave, and something happens. They're in a car accident, or somebody's hurt. Are the parents liable?
1: Yeah, there is a there is a, an act in BC, um, and I'm not I'm not an uh, an expert in civil liability, but I know that there is an occupiers liability act. There are provisions within that act um, that require anyone who who hosts guests in their home to exercise, you know, a duty of care to the people that are that are in their home. Uh, And that care has to be reasonable. And that doesn't just consider the the house itself. It can't be crumbling down around their feet, but also what happens in the house and the conduct of any of the people that are in the house. So, you know, we have had situations where parents have hosted, uh, you know, young people in their homes and then things get out of control. And they've had to call us to help get, you know, this party under control that has happened in the past. Uh, and of course if if someone leaves a home, there is case law that i 'm aware of, and again i 'm not an expert in this civil area of of these legal proceedings, but I know uh, from experience that that people can be held responsible f- down the line for things that happen after people have been consuming alcohol in a person 's home when that person has either provided that alcohol or been involved in in, in um, allowing that to happen so yeah, like I say, I'm not an expert in this stuff, but there are a lot of issues um, around alcohol and liability and harm that can be caused and, and it's just really important for parents and students alike to think through these things, to have those discussions around the dinner table, talk about what the plan's gonna be. You know, sometimes plans change as the night unfolds and a student might find themselves in a situation that they didn't anticipate. Is there a plan for that? Do they have a number they can call? Is there a Is there someone who's going to be able to go and and help them out in that situation? Obviously, people can always call 911, but that's not necessarily the first thing that students, kids are, are going to think of. Obviously, if they're in trouble, we would absolutely want them to call us to help them. But it's good for students and parents and young people to think about these things and to have plans to prevent getting into those situations.
0: Uh, I noticed there was also uh, some advice from the fire and fire rescue service chief, uh, Brian Hutchinson, saying, reminding people as well that the forests are still tinder dry, that even though we are now into September, we've had a pretty rough wildfire season in the province and on the North Shore, those forests are still extremely dry. Are there concerns that some of these parties, like you said, are going to be taking place or could be planned in some of those well-known outdoor areas and could involve uh, fire or smoking?
1: yeah and and like i said you know we know that uh students young people they are responsible for the most part they are clear thinking they know about these risks and nobody wants to start a forest fire uh but it's those unintended fires it's those unintended actions or those thoughtless actions that do sometimes occur after people have been consuming alcohol their their judgment fades and they may not think as clearly about how to do things so, yeah, for example, a discarded cigarette butt in a dry area of the forest is a real deep concern for a lot of people, particularly the, um, you know, the firefighters and, and anyone who lives in those interface areas between the forest and our neighbourhoods. We really don't want uh, any fire risk uh, to, to cause concerns among, among the community. So, you know, yes, we have seen students, uh, you, you know, having fires, bonfires or campfires, and certainly we know that there are some students who smoke, Uh, we just really want them to pay very close attention to what they're doing with any kind of, um, you know, fire starting capacity, whether it's a a campfire, which are are not allowed, or um, smoking, which, you know, has to be, you have to be really careful with that stuff, particularly on the North Shore, where we have so many homes that are are nestled right up against um, the forests.
0: Uh, and so, going into this weekend, the last long weekend of the summer, will people see an increased police presence?
1: Absolutely. We, every year we know that uh, not just at the start of the school year in terms of traffic and more students being on the roads and our need to remind people that, hey, we're getting back into uh, the back-to-school season. There's going to be kids all over the sidewalks and crosswalks at those particular times in the mornings and afternoons as kids go to school and come back from school. We really want people to pay attention to their driving and and make sure they're not on their cell phones, all those things that we do. We also know that prior to the start of school, the grade 12, in particular grade 12 students who are coming in and it's a very exciting time. And we're really happy that they're having this opportunity to get together. But we know that that there can be some problems that arise as that's happened in the past. So we do have um, we have a an organized plan around how to, um, you know, factor that into our regular operations. And we have extra personnel who will be out, you know, we have youth officers and we have community officers, we have, uh, you know, our regular patrol officers. So they will be, and, and the other thing is they know very well, they have their ear to the ground and they know very well what's happening in the student community. And, um, you know, they'll be out uh, talking to kids, making sure that kids are following Uh, the rules. And again, you know, if if anyone is found breaking those rules, we are taking a zero tolerance policy. You know, we will be issuing tickets and fines are more than $200 if you're in possession of alcohol. Uh, It's $230, I believe. So, you know, we we really want to get that message out there to encourage students to make responsible decisions. Uh, Don't get into difficult situations and have a plan.
0: All right. We will leave it there for today. Thanks so much for joining us to talk more about this. Thanks very much, Jill. Have a great day. We're going to take a few moments now to look at what's happening in the Fraser Valley when it comes to real estate and some new numbers showing that the supply, the shortage in supply, is at the worst stage it's been at in decades. Larry Anderson joins me now, a realtor in Surrey and the president of the Fraser Valley Real Estate Board. Thanks so much for being with us.
3: Oh, thanks for the invitation, Jill. This is great. Uh, Good to reach out to the community?
0: Uh, Yeah, and and the the numbers are are interesting. So let's talk about the supply first. Uh, One of the uh, numbers released saying that the supply shortage is the worst that it's been in about 40 years. So what is happening with that?
3: Well, it's been um, well-documented. New home construction in Canada, let alone the Fraser Valley, has been chronically undersupplied and uh, has been for decades. And we've been speaking to different levels of government regarding that or all levels and uh you know it's it's a matter of everyone working together uh municipal city it starts you know with permits construction and land available so um it's it's all an answer to a supply question
0: and how is that going then as far as demand? Is there still, because we've been talking about demand, especially throughout the pandemic uh, for the Fraser Valley uh, and further out, how is demand right now?
3: Well, it's it's uh, exceptionally high. So um, it, it, let's put it in perspective to uh, what we would call a balanced market for the month of August. and And for us to be in a balanced market, that's when we typically see 15 to 20 percent of inventory selling for the month well we've had communities that have been selling over a hundred percent of housing stocks and and i just want to clarify how can we sell over a hundred percent when we take a snapshot at the end of the month you know we kind of put a line in the sand okay the months over um, stats this is where we create the stats well we still have sales that happened in that month that didn't get um, counted yet. So then, uh, you know, the listings stop, but the sales still come in. So we can have 100% of the listings for that month, but actually oversell more than 100% of those listings available for that month. And, and we've been seeing numbers as high as 130%. So um, we, we just cannot get enough inventory. Hmm.
0: And what is that doing to prices?
3: Well, you know, um, it's no secret. Uh, It's uh, Economics 101, um, supply and demand. So uh, if if this demand keeps up, supply doesn't adjust. It'll continue to put upward pressure on home prices. Um, So it's, uh, you know, it's been very difficult for clients. Uh, our customers and for the realtors, because we we just can't do service to our clients when there's no product.
0: And when we're talking about the demand, are there particular types of housing that are more in demand than others? Are we talking single family or townhomes? Or what are you seeing as far as what people are actually looking for?
3: Yeah, great question, Jill. So in the Fraser Valley, we've uh, seen an uptick in uh, townhome sales. And, and basically, I think it's because the three-bedroom row home or townhome uh, that uh, could range from, say, 600000 to $850,000, uh, that's become uh, the most affordable option for young families. Uh, basically, single-family homes, have, uh, they've been priced out of that market.
0: Hmm. Uh, what about condos? Is there a demand for condos in the Fraser Valley as well?
3: Oh, 100%. So we have been uh, essentially selling out of everything. It's just townhomes are the hottest commodity right now.
0: So you talked about this, I think right off the top talking about the supply. So is it as simple as saying more supply needs to come on and more needs to be built to even begin to tackle this issue?
3: Yeah, you know, it's um it, it, it's it's definitely um part of the solution you know uh, does that make it affordable Uh, it's difficult to say because land is going up so so much because of demand as well so the raw land that the builders have to start with is high and um, I I don't know what the answer is to make it affordable and to have the supply but definitely we need more housing we have more buyers currently right now than we have active listings and um, you know, what's difficult as well. If we say for example, you, Jill, you said, Okay, Larry, I want to go buy a house and I go, Okay, well there's nothing available. Well, you are probably not gonna choose to put your house on the market because you got nowhere to go. So it it actually compounds itself.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So are you seeing people then go further out, especially with the idea of more people working from home or doing some kind of hybrid working where there's no longer going to be a five-day commute? Well,
3: um, there's been some uh, results, I guess, uh, From the pandemic, and and basically, what's happening is people are moved, are been able to work from home. A lot of people will never be going back to your typical office scenario. So, uh, someone that may have had a a condo downtown, a, a professional couple, all of a sudden they're both working from home. That condo, the the floor space doesn't work. But then they also found out, well, maybe for the same price of that condo, they can move out in the Fraser Valley and have a house and both have separate office spaces where they can have their Zoom meetings and and work from home and um, enjoy a yard.
0: It makes sense with a lot of people, and we certainly have heard that throughout the pandemic, that what what seemed like enough space pre-pandemic quickly became cramped living quarters for a, a lot of people, uh, for sure. So where do you see things going? Then We can't possibly stay in a situation where, like you said, the, the demand is far outweighing supply, uh, that it's the worst it's been in decades. Is it just going to keep getting worse, or do you think there will be uh, some will or there will be some action to address this?
3: Well, I, I believe there's the will, and I believe, you know, uh, there will be some action. Will it be enough to uh, stop the pendulum? Hard to say, because this is not a problem you can solve overnight. Uh, even if we started projects uh, like this, it, it, it's at least two even possibly three years to get it out of the ground. So um, we're still working on projects like the the stuff that comes to market today are, are things that started two years ago. So it's uh, yeah interesting dilemma, but it's you know if if they uh, well, and always in the lower mainland we we have we have a sliver of land. We've got the Rocky Mountains on one side, the ocean on the other side. We live in the most beautiful spot, I believe in in Canada. And we have a sliver of land going out to the Fraser Valley and uh, on through Chilliwack. And we just don't have the land mass to uh, carry on building the way we're building.
0: Uh, You mentioned something too, which makes sense that if somebody doesn't have a place to buy, they're going to be reluctant to put their place on the market. Uh, Do you think part of that as well is with the pandemic, there aren't as many people perhaps that are deciding to downsize and say, become a snowbird or move to even to a different part of the country. They've kind of put those plans on hold. So even if you were putting your place on the market to leave the region completely, we're not seeing as much of that.
3: Well, um, I I don't, I wouldn't have that information i can tell you my personal thought is that because uh, i potentially was one of those and now i'm thinking do i really want to go to the states and maybe have uh, you know down there as a snowbird and have medical issues and stuff when you know we live in a beautiful place here so um we we definitely have a lot of people moving from the lower mainland to the interior for those reasons you know um, but back to the I think the beginning of the question, some people are not listing their house because of the pandemic. They don't want strangers in their home. No matter you know we practice safe protocol, you know wearing masks and different things like that. And, and uh, uh, but that doesn't mean that you're not uh, paranoid about your own safety or concerned.
0: No, that's very, very true. Larry, we will leave it there today, but thank you so much for joining us and sharing some of these numbers. Appreciate it.
3: You're very welcome. Thanks, Jill.